Welcome to What Won't You Say, a woman-centered podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Mastic. Stick around for the season to be inspired by amazing women who bravely delve into the stories of their lives, giving hope and inspiration to others. Together, we will explore such a wide array of topics that you will be asking yourself, what won't you say? Welcome back to another episode of What Won't You Say and Jackie Zimmerman's story. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> she has changed out her headset. You you might notice a little bit of a difference in audio, but she has one of those headsets with with like the boom arm that looks like she's going to take my food order. <laughs> or maybe like if you're old enough, you'll know like all the um infomercials where they would show like if you order sports illustrated, you'll get a free football phone. <laughs> you also have that like going. <laughs> I feel very professional. Yeah, you know, a little, a little levity in the middle of all this. <laughs> Okay, so for the listeners, uh, just a slight recap. Where did we leave off at? Uh, I believe we left off at where I was leaving Cleveland Clinic, and I had just had a conversation with the head surgeon there who essentially told me, you don't really, you get a choice of if you want to do this while you control it by planning the day, or you will be here regardless of whether or not you want to, essentially. Yeah, very polite way of saying life flights are really expensive. So schedule yes. your surgery. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> essentially. And, you know, spoiler alert, I never got that life flight, but I also <laughs> never paid the, paid the bill for that life flight either. So <laughs> I think there's maybe some things you're probably happy about not having done. Yeah, I, know I mean, like you've checked a lot of stuff off the chronic illness list, but life flight, let's not have that be that one. It would be a cool story <laughs> if you make it. But, you know, <laughs> so I'm on a life flight. <laughs> So here we are. So you, okay. you drove home, you've scheduled you, you the last uh, episode at the end, you said that you kind of had a chilly ride home, you know, with your mom, it's quiet, you know, just trying to contemplate. And then the next day you schedule the surgery. So, so what's next? Yeah. So at this point, I think this is roughly end of 2009. It's kind of like, is where I, th I think this is stuff is happening. Okay. I know I had that heart surgery in September of 2009. And I know my first surgery for IBD was in March of 2010. So we're kind of in there and, and where I'm at personally, um, I, am, I have gained 60 pounds in less than like three months because of steroid weight. And I gained Ugh. it all in my face. So I did not look like me anymore. I didn't feel like me anymore. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, I'm still working full time during all of this. I mean, LOL, full time. I'm mm -hmm. I'm attempting to work full time um, and I'm doing a poor job at it just because I'm obviously missing so much work. Um, and as now that we know that we are facing and by we, I mean, my family, I'm having these conversations with my parents, we're facing um, major surgery and not just one, but likely three major surgeries. Um, because the, the process to get to a, a J pouch, which is what I have now is a multi-step process. Okay. So, um, we know we're facing at least three surgeries. I had just had that other major surgery. And so now we're starting to talk about like, should I file bankruptcy? Cause we just don't know <laughs> like what it looks like to use your insurance this much, basically like, and, and how old are you right now ish? I think I had just turned 25. Jeez. I mean, again, a absolute mature grown adult, this would be staggeringly overwhelming, but a 25 year old. And I think that like, I mean, I was, I was overwhelmed. Don't get me wrong. But I also think that I, 
I didn't know enough to be as overwhelmed as maybe I should have been. You know, I still had my parents kind of guiding me on, you know, to their best of their ability. They had never done this before either, right? Um, so we're talking about what it looks like to... I, I just think we didn't really know much about our insurance. So mm -hmm. we didn't know uh, about the deductible or the out-of-pocket or, or all of these things and, and what they cost and what it looks like over year over year. And we're just winging it, right? We're flying mm -hmm. by the seat of our, like kind of poor people pants where we're like, yeah. this just feels real expensive. And so we start talking at this time. Also, I own my own home. Um, I'm living on my own. I live by myself. I have this house. And we start talking about like filing bankruptcy after the surgeries, because that's what we assume I'm going to have to do yeah. in order to, to like have a life after all of this. And I do mean overwhelmed too, by the fact of like, obviously your parents had to be overwhelmed, even knowing what, cause they did know, but also not giving yourself enough credit for how how overwhelming it was for the fact that you're saying like even two years ago you know you joked like i didn't even want people to know i had a butt much less that i had any butt problems yeah <laughs> and but now you've gained 60 pounds in three months yeah you know what i mean like like this has got to be you know destroying your your world in a sense you know like your your sense of equilibrium and confidence and all of that so that's what i mean by overwhelmed yes. you know what i mean and then on top of like i own my own house and i have to keep a full-time job and i don't understand insurance and i don't understand these surgeries and i don't even know what to ask and yeah there was a, a whole mess of it and and i think that's the the big part about having uh, an unexpected illness or a chronic illness or even you know a cancer diagnosis when this stuff comes out of nowhere it impacts every single aspect of your life and every single person in your life, whether or not you, you think you might be able to control that part of it, mm -hmm. but you can't because what happens on the inside almost always starts to show on the outside, right? Like yeah. the weight gain in my face, everybody saw it. Yeah. No, everybody was nice enough not to say anything about it, but yeah. we all knew that. My, I mean, I also had, when you take a lot of steroids, you often get what's called moon face, mm -hmm. which basically means your whole face just blows up um, from all the steroid and all the water weight and all of that stuff. And so you have a very round face and not just, I want to be really clear. It's not just in the specific way of like, oh, you know, you're fat, you have a huge fat face. I mean, it feels that way when you have it, but it's the rest of your body might not have gained any weight, but your mm. whole face has gained all the, so it is noticeable yeah. when you're on steroids. Um, so much so to the point that I remembered at this time I was, you know, just thinking about life. And there was this kid in high school who one year just showed up and like clearly had moon face and none of us knew what that meant at the time. And I know right. he got bullied for it. And it was sort of this, like in hindsight, oh yeah. man, that kid must've been going through some shit and none of us knew and everybody was terrible to him, you know? So, yeah. you know, life yeah. lessons. And, and all of this to say for the listeners, the reason why I'm bringing this up is not to uh, have Jackie, you know, recall something very painful, but when people are in the throes of this, even to this moment, you're downplaying how overwhelmed you were. Yeah. And then when people are saying, what can I do to help? I cannot juggle one more thing to tell you what to do to help. Like, yes. You know, this is, this is your invitation to just come in and do the shit that you, that you're good at and help me don't ask me what I need. And it's, it's beautiful to ask people, but it, I like, I can't imagine you could make another decision at that point when people are saying, how can I help? No. And at that point, even 
because I had told so few people, I wasn't even really getting offers of help. Mm -hmm. And one, I was glad because it meant nobody knew what was happening. Yeah. But to your point, I really think like whenever you ask anybody going through some kind of tragedy right now and you ask and they're always like, we're good. I'll let you know. And they never let you know yeah. because there's never a moment to come up for air to think about what you actually need. Like there, it's just, that doesn't yeah. happen. Um, so all the stuff is going on and what is happening at your job? I mean, you, you have to logically think about, can I do this job? Is it worth it? Is it worth all the extra stress? Do I file bankruptcy? Where, where right. do you go? So this is where things were getting kind of, kind of fucky with my job. And, and I want to say, you know, I worked at a small coffee franchise. I, like I mentioned, was sort of the one woman corporate office. Um, they really depended on me. And I knew that. Um, I also knew that I was very, very, very sick. So we had these in the very beginning, my bosses were super kind and super understanding and very like, you know, well, we just hope you're okay and mm -hmm. let us know how we can, you know, help you in, in the interim. You know, this is that summer of all those hospitalizations where all this is going down. Right. And now that I've had this heart surgery and I know that I'm facing more surgery towards the end, they were less kind during those hospitalizations. Like after, um, either the heart surgery or my first surgery, the timeline gets a little wonky here because, mm. you know, lots of drugs and surgeries and things. So I don't fully remember crystal clear the timeline, but, um, I'd be in the hospital and it would be like, when are you coming back to work? You know? Right. And I'm like, I don't know. There's no, it's not like a, I'm here for a certain thing. And then they're like, after seven days you get out. It was like, I get out when I get better. I don't know when that's going to be. And I understood, like, I wanted to be really clear. I understood where they were at in their business. They had stuff that needed to get done that wasn't getting done. Mm -hmm. And there was no end in sight of when that was going, I was going to come back. So they had to start thinking about their business. I fully, fully get that. Um, when I was in the hospital, the constant text, I mean, they, they had yeah. my parents number at that point too, because I kept like emergency disappearing. So she yeah. start my boss started calling my mom and being like, when is she coming back? And that's when it got weird. And that's when it got really like, I was getting pissed off because I felt like they were asking for things of me that I just could not give them. Um, are, you, so are you secretly like hoping at this point that they just fire you and be done with it? Yes, because I don't want to have a job, but no, because I needed in yeah. I needed money. Like I, I knew mm. that I was facing very expensive stuff and I knew I had a house and I have bills and like I can't not have money, right? And I also knew that if you get um if you quit, you don't get unemployment. So I knew mm. I couldn't quit because I absolutely I had to have some kind of income coming in. So I was going to work sick. I would get to work. I'd spend almost the whole day in the bathroom. Like I wasn't even really working when I was there. And I would spend the whole drive there and back constantly thinking I was going to shit myself in the car. Um, but that was the choice because mm. I had to go to work. Um, and I I was going to make them fire me is basically right. where I got. And I'm not proud of this, but this is the country we live in. Like this I was is just going to say that like America. Yeah. You can't even be sick. No, you can't. And and again, luckily, I guess, um, my insurance was not through my employer. That was my um, next question. I I it I think it was offered, but I didn't take it. And part of this, again, this is back before um when they changed the law that you could be up to twenty six or twenty seven on your parents' plan, that law wasn't around then. So when I got to eighteen, it was like, you're on your fucking own. And yeah. 
because at 21, I had gotten that diagnosis of MS, my parents and I agreed that I would get a private policy, which is banana pants expensive. Yeah. So, so, so expensive. And again, I'm I'm in a position where my parents are able to help me, which I want to like set the stage here. Like we're not rich people. We're not wealthy people. Um, my mom was just really good at saving money. Like we just, we didn't have a lot when I was a kid, but we didn't, I mean, we didn't starve, but we also didn't have abundance either, you know, and that continued on later into life. Like my parents did well for themselves, but at this time I'm at the beginning of my career. I'm still like a, ba- a woman child, you know, I'm kind of still a kid and luckily, luckily they could help me because this whole story would be entirely different if they didn't have the financial means to help me at that point in my life. Absolutely. And it's fascinating to have conversations with people about this. And by fascinating, I mean maddening <laughs> for the fact that I served many, many, many different times, seasons and years and stuff at um, soup kitchens and homeless shelters and things like that. And a, more often than I can even say, there are people that would come that were coming just for assistance for like a meal or, or things like that. And I met many doctors that they got cancer they had insurance, their insurance kicked them off and they lost everything. And now they're literally coming here to get, to get assistance at a food pantry because they're broke. I, one woman was a doctor and she was uh, taking her heart meds every other day because that's what she could afford. And she was a doctor. She knew the implications. She knew what she was. She was an MD. She knew what she was doing, but it's, it's not a surprise. And I know there are like physical, like actual stats on this, but the, the general overarching, particularly in this country, is everybody is one medical tragedy away from losing everything. Yeah. I mean, if you get cancer, if you have a sick kid, if you're, you know, like me, you're in your 20s, you get chronic illnesses, everybody is one real bad illness away from losing their entire lives. And that, like, we're just fine with that. We're like, yeah, this is cool. This is a good system. We're not only just fine with it, we are in droves as you see on social media and i don't want to derail the conversation but you see people that align inside with billionaires and yeah. you always see that statistic which is you are closer to being homeless yeah. than ever being <laughs> even a millionaire you're, yeah. you're you're like one you could be one paycheck away or one illness away yeah. from losing everything but yet you are siding with people who are not paying their fair share in taxes and 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 we're just subsidizing them and using all this money for them and wars that we could actually be giving people free healthcare. That's another subject. But yeah, yeah. So but so th- you're- this is where we're at. Yeah. And 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 I I'm I'm expecting to go into bankruptcy. Like that's just yeah. sort of like that. That's that's what the you move. do. Yeah. And and my parents were like, pro though you don't have to roll your house into that. And I was like, so I get to keep my house and file for bankruptcy. I'm so I'm sort of like best case scenario. Sure. I mean, and the, again, best case scenario is you lose everything except your house. Like, wow, yeah. what a great time. Yeah. Um, what a time to be alive. Right. <laughs> so it, stuff at work is starting to boil over. Mm-hmm. And at one point I'm there and we have a meeting and they sit me down and they basically say like, Hey, um, this is not working. And you should probably stop working here. And I literally said to them, I will not quit this job. Yeah, they knew you guys were playing sort of the. We absolutely 
I mean, it was like gloves were off, but we absolutely, I remember looking in their faces and them looking in mine and it was like, if you want this to end, you're going to have to do it. Mm -hmm. And they did. And they fired yeah. me. Um, and to a certain extent, I was relieved because it meant I didn't have to pr like try to go to work anymore. Like the effort and energy just to get up and drive there and sit upwards all day long was just exhausting. Um, but I, what a shitbag move, though. They already pay into unemployment. Yeah. And everything, And they knew you were very, very ill. Like you weren't yeah. just like gaming the system. I want to sit home and watch the prices. Right. Like yeah. you were sick and they were like, oh, we're going to make it harder on you instead of going, we're going to fire you and do it like a mercy firing, basically. So you can get unemployment and figure out what's next because you're not serving us, but let us be a good human being and serve you. As you leave. I wish the conversation had been, we know you can't do this anymore. Yeah. So we're going to do this for you. Um, legally. It's been long enough. I think we can talk. I, I think legally I should have never been able to collect unemployment because mm -hmm. I was not physically able to work. And I think that's the, that's the condition, right? You get fired, you collect unemployment because you're actively seeking new employment. Sure. I wasn't. So I was gaming the system for, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know, not very long, but I, I needed that income. I yeah. had to, I needed it. This is where, you know, you go, my private health insurance is costing a fortune. And that does, that's my monthly premium was $600 for me. Yeah. That doesn't include my actual co-pays or my deductible or my out-of-pocket fees. Um, at that time, I had a, and I, I feel very like 90% confident in these. I had a $5,000 out-of-pocket, no, $5,000 deductible and a $7,000 out-of-pocket which meant in addition to $600 a month before my insurance covered anything, we were paying $12,000. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good system. And, and I also had to, you know, eat food. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like have electricity in my home. Not to so, mention having so many meds. So yeah, many I, I was for all so these many meds. meds. Yeah. And none of them were free or cheap. None of them were generic forms really of anything. So like just being, a sick person is expensive. Existing as a sick person is expensive. Not to mention you have a hard time getting employed. Not to mention that if you are on disability, you're only allowed to make so much money every year. Anyway, again, we could have a whole other podcast about how dumb this system is. Yeah, and I will say though, and interject this though for people that are listening who are like, uh, if you uh, are working at a place, you should go in. This is why remote work matters. For people Bingo. with disabilities, people that are, are ill, because like you could have done that job from home and they would not yes. have known. You would have been fine. You I would could have, have absolutely done that job. I know home. you. I know you could have. And so that's the thing is like, even if your disability is invisible to other people, even if it's anxiety, even if it's other things, like if you can do the job for the company and you're just not sitting in front of them, who the hell gives a shit? Like, this is why the, it inclusivity of everybody into the workforce is what working remote does so please bear that in mind when you're having these conversations about you know oh it should be a hybrid it should be this like it should be great like my, my husband loves hybrid he goes in twice a week he's home three days a week he loves to go in a couple days that works for him but it's too overstimulating to be there all week he gets way more done when he's home and so yeah i just wanted to bring that point you know because we do yeah. Well, and back then, like work from home yeah. was not even on the radar. That wasn't a, a buzz term anywhere. Nobody did that. So I, it's not even like I thought to negotiate that because that wasn't a right. thing people did. Um, so I get fired. 
and I collect unemployment, which at the time is also my salary was not a lot. And your unemployment is reflective of what you're making in your salary. Yeah. So what I'm getting from unemployment is enough to barely pay the bills, but I'm paying the bills, right? I'm yeah. barely eking by, but I'm doing it. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I at least just get to only focus on how awful I feel and trying to stay alive versus and also keep up employment. Yeah. Great, but whatever. So now as a family, we're looking at this going, I'm making, I don't know, like 200 bucks a week or something mm. on unemployment. I still have at least $12,000 minimum that we are paying out this year. My parents are still paying my premium at $600 a month. I have a mortgage. I have all these things. And so, yeah, we're definitely like, we're for sure filing bankruptcy at the end of all of this. And before that, my mom has this idea that she wants to throw a benefit to help raise money for all the upcoming, this is sort of before GoFundMe's, um, an in-person benefit. And oh. I'm sure that you can predict that my reaction was a hard pass. Mortified. Mortified. Absolutely not. Yeah. Under no circumstances <laughs> will we ever be doing this. Will, will we ever be talking about my heart, gut, butt stuff? In I'm person, face to face. No, yeah. hardest of hard passes. Yeah. No, thank you. I will not be doing that. Um, uh, so what is the benefit? Is it like a bowling party <laughs> or something? What do... It was at like, uh, it was like food and raffles okay. kind of, you know, buy yeah. a dinner and, and raffle things. Um, I'll and I felt, my heart. <laughs> I, I had so, I mean, I just, it was against everything of who I am. Attention on me, people showing up for me. I didn't, people knowing everything. It just was like, there was nowhere I wanted to be less in the world than promoting a benefit and showing up to one. Also, I was like, how weird does it look when I say, give me all your money because I'm broke and poor and sick. I was like, I can't, I can't invite people to this. Like, I can't be the one inviting. This is yeah. so uncomfortable. And so we back and forth for a while. Yeah. And I, I don't remember what made me finally like give in, but I did. I, I, think, I, I was... think a bit of knowing your mom is that you didn't have a choice. Well, I, maybe. <laughs> um, I think even there was a, a talk at one point that I just wouldn't be there and they would do it anyway. Okay. Um, but we decided to do the benefit. And, and I want to tell the story about the benefit a little bit out of order because the benefit actually came after my first surgery. But I... I want to tell this part so bad okay. <laughs> because this benefit. Okay. So when you throw an event like this, first of all, you're supposed to have like licenses and all that stuff. We didn't do any of that. No, we didn't mm. do that. I don't know anyone um, that does actually. No. I mean like who, who gets a raffle license when they're throwing a benefit for like charity? No right. one. Um, so we start by we, I mean my mom and my sister and maybe aunts or something like, I didn't have any real part of the planning, but they're planning. And so what starts happening is people start doing really nice things. <gasps> like, right? I'm Bastards. shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked. So we get a venue donated to us. It's like a, um, like a restaurant at a golf course, I think, where mm. they were like, yeah, use our, and um, you can use everything we have here, including our kitchen. So that gets donated to us. And I'm like, okay, well, that's really, that that's really helpful, right? That's great. Mm -hmm. And then we have a family friend who is like family who was in culinary school at the time and was like, mm. I will cook all the food. And I was like, okay. And then we also had a family friend who owned a butcher shop and he was like, I will donate all the meat. And wow. so it was like people just like really going hard on what they're willing to do. And I still am like, 
what the fuck? How, like, who's willing to do this stuff? Like, right. why are people doing this? Why are people decent, you bastards? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, my family starts to put together, like, a guest list. And I am like, I want no part of this because it's starting to get uncomfortable with who they want to invite because they want to invite everybody I've ever met in my entire existence, which is fair, which is what you should do when you're you're trying trying to make money. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm like, "Uh, I mean, I haven't seen that person in a while. And like, that feels uncomfortable. They don't know about my butt. Right. And like, what about that awkward kiss I shared with that guy 10 years ago? So, you know, like just all the thing I'm like, I don't mm, so, so uncomfortable. Yeah. So let me, so we do the benefit and let's set now, now we're at the benefit because this is when things get real fun and awkward and so weird. So we're there and I am, I don't know, maybe I'm a couple weeks out of that first surgery. And so I'm still pretty weak. Like I, me showing up there being a real person is a pretty heavy feat for me at this point. And are you and, still sort of looking unwell as well? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, like I, I have an ostomy now for the first time and that makes me real uncomfortable because I think everybody knows, mm-hmm. nobody knows, but I think everybody knows. And I think everybody is like horrified by it. Again, nobody knows. So it didn't mm. matter. Um, but we're in here. And I mean, this is like your birthday times a hundred. Sure. This is your wedding times a hundred yeah. because everybody wants to talk to you and they all give you those yes. me- sign like kind well-intentioned pity eyes of like, Ugh. oh, how you doing? How 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 you feeling? Right. And I'm like, <laughs> can I just answer this once and then like yeah. never do it again? You just but, pick up like... a microphone and answer. I'm gonna answer this one time for everybody. <laughs> I'm feeling kind of crappy. I'm really happy you're here and <laughs> let's catch up later. <laughs> so we have this like big beautiful meal. My aunts and other family friends have found amazing raffles to give away um people are you know like raffle ticketing their faces off um my parents are members of a moose lodge at this time and um the moose lodge people really showed up hard for me they they donated time money Mm. energy they all showed up and spent a bunch of like i mean i really really got encircled in a community that i didn't know existed that i didn't want and it really was like the first time I, I let people in and it felt good. It felt really good. That's awesome. Um, so like, I'm really glad we did it and we raised a bunch of money. But while again, I didn't know the guest list. Uh-oh. <laughs> so bum, 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 bum. at this point, as a refresher, I'm dating new boyfriend who is a college friend of mine. So his like entire family is there. Extended family. Everybody is there. They're like real. They're really huge cheerleaders for me during all of this they their whole fan their family despite maybe where he was mm-hmm. was very supportive mm-hmm. of me um they like visited me in the hospital and they sent me flowers a bunch of times and like they were just really really kind people mm-hmm. really supportive and really concerned about me when i got really sick um they're there my ex-boyfriend's entire family is also there mm-hmm the high school boyfriend, his yep. mom, his dad, his siblings are there. And I'm like, mm, this is real uncomfortable. A boyfriend I dated for about four seconds, his whole family was there. And he wasn't, which was nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, It just was sort of like all the ghosts of boyfriends past had yeah. showed up. And then I had a whole bunch of people from high school that I was like acquaintances with, but not like mm. deep friends with just like. It was a really weird mix of people. You know, you've got like Moose Lodge people, which are sort of just like, you know, they're 
elk, they're lodged elks lodge and moose lot they're, they're just like you know it's the kind of vibe of people and then you have like my professional friends and then my high school friends and then every boyfriend I've ever dated in my entire life and my whole my whole extended family and I have a gigantic family mm -hmm. there's a lot of people here it's a lot of attention it's very overwhelming um the dynamics are weird i want to go hide in a corner somewhere yeah. because it's so weird um at one point my high school boyfriend's mom kind of corners me um and is like you know how you doing and i i want to point out and this is not like a shit talk but when i first met her son um, she made it very clear that I was not like the pedigree that she wanted him to be dating. Mm -hmm. Um, they were better. We were worse. It was not, you know, she sounds like she's fun at parties. I, um, <laughs> but over the time, over the eight years, I won her over. I, I won her Duh. over to the point where she was bragging about my grades instead of her kids grades to other people. Right. So right. like in the end, no hard feelings against her. But this interaction was fucking weird. So she came up to me and was like, how's it going? Da, 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 da. And so, of course, I'm like, you know, how's he doing? That's the the normal thing you mm. ask. Um, and I know at this point he's dating a new girl. So I'm trying to be like a grown up and like, how's how's that going? Like, how do you feel? And she looks at me and she starts crying and she says, she's not you. Wow. <laughs> Uh, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm so uncomfortable. I have like, you know, all the sickness going on. She and carrying her somebody... emotional baggage now. <laughs> she didn't even like me for the greater part of eight years, you know, like, yeah. and now I'm getting that like this new girlfriend is not as good as I am. And just it was so, so uncomfortable. And I don't know how I got out of that interaction, but I was real glad when it was over because it just was like, this is weird. Um, so now I know the listeners are going to know. Do you still know about his life? Did he marry that girl? He did marry that girl. <gasps> da, 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 da. I was wondering where that was going. I knew you probably would know. So he did marry that girl. Um, so yeah, that's so if any of them are listening, that's real awkward. Hope you can deal with that one now. <laughs> um it's gonna make Thanksgiving real fun for you guys. Anyway, um so the raffles are going off, right? People have these long strands of raffle tickets and they're dumping them in the things that they want. And then we start calling out the winners. And um, that's going well. You know, people are having a good time. But what I didn't see coming is that people who were winning were then walking over to me and handing to me what they won. Mm. So they all were paying to eat food there, paying for raffle tickets, and then winning things and then just giving me all the winnings. That's classy etiquette for Benefit 101 right there, people. Honestly, it really is. It yeah. was, again wildly uncomfortable i don't know how to handle attention but i like the warmth that wrapped me in that event i had never experienced and i was so against this whole event and now i'm like if anybody offers to throw you a benefit do it yeah. do it because this is one of those times in your life like this was the first time right i let people understand what was going on and they showed up and it I made it awkward because I was still really uncomfortable with what was happening to me, but everybody showed up with love and kindness and support. And 
it is very rare that you are alive and experience that kind of support from people. Most of the time yeah. that stuff happens after you die and they raise a bunch of money for your family. And you know, like you don't know that happens cause you died and I didn't, and I got to see it firsthand and it was really a remarkable thing. Oh, I might cry about it. <laughs> it is multi-tiered though. It's multi-tiered of the fact that think of how many different ways it, it, it sort of, buoyed you like financially it buoyed you and then you carrying that with you to this day it's 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 enough to make you emotional now yeah and you then by means of letting people know what's going on in this peripheral way a lot of people are now supporting you even in different ways you, you know like all these people kind of surface here and there how are you what do you need or whatever and so yeah this is the thing of like you have to let people in in order to fully live through a hard experience because yeah. people will people will disappoint you without question some people will disappoint you but most people by and large will show up and carry you even if they don't understand it even if they don't know what you're going on they will show up i mean that seems to be your experience absolutely and i didn't know what it would look like i didn't know what it would feel like so i was just hard pass on every aspect of it. And it, it really, really, to your point, right. It set me up to gave me some money that I needed. It gave me some more support than I needed in hindsight. It gave a lot of people some education that they probably didn't have. These are things mm. I wasn't thinking about then, but now maybe, you know, now they know a person who at least has the thing. Yeah. Right. Um. So overall great event down to like really tiny stuff. Like somebody um, actually, my ex-boyfriend's sister worked at a salon at the time and that salon donated like a cut in color and it's some nice. fancy hair package and whoever won it gave it to me. So at this time, right, when I feel I don't look like myself, I don't feel like myself, I don't have any money, yep. I can barely take care of myself, like they donated me a really fancy cut in color and like that made a big difference yeah. at the time. It made a really big difference. So small stuff like yeah. that which actually is really big stuff um and i i can't believe i'm getting so emotional over this but like this small act of like people come to support you i it's in my head it's transactional right they pay for food they get food they pay for raffle tickets maybe they win something the idea that they came for the sole purpose of helping me not to get anything out of it like the dinner was a bonus and the raffles it's like they had a conspiracy that like no one was going to accept anything and nobody told me and like i probably still have not experienced unabashed kindness in that way of just like we are not here for us at all nothing about this mm -hmm. is us and um it was uncomfortable sure <laughs> but it really was this like very beautiful thing that I very much was against and struggled and was an asshole about. Like I did not mm. want this to happen. Mm. Um, and I'm really glad that it did actually. Well, the beauty of the human spirit and the human condition will override embarrassment. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it is a thing of like, I'm sure you were still embarrassed, but you got over it because it is so beautiful. And again, like that's, such a difficult part about our culture now as compared to say like the 50s like don't get me wrong everybody listening the 50s were a shit storm i'm not for like segregation <laughs> and bullshit but i'm saying the only really cool thing about it was that people were still kind of living in a communal way yeah uh that that 
even in the seventies, when I was very, very little, um, I remember aunts and uncles and cousins dropping by on Sundays unannounced often. And, you know, my, my family would spend the entire day around the kitchen table, drinking coffee, smoking, you know, chain smoking cigarettes. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember like, it was just never like a thing where you're like, um, Oh, we're busy or you should call before you come. Like they would just like order buckets of chicken and, you know, like feed them mm -hmm. all day and stuff. And we would do it at their house all the time. And nobody ever called. You just drop by. And, but it was the thing, like if they dropped by and my dad was building the shed, well, then nine people were building a shed. Yeah. And they always did stuff together. And so that's the thing of like, you know, we're losing that more and more and more where we're always just taking on everything by ourselves and we're wondering why we're all so tired and burned out all the time. And so I think this is a great thing for you to happen to you to carry forward to say like, if I'm struggling, let people in, they will, yeah. they will rise up. They will meet you. They will help you. Let's not do everything by ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, right now, to your point, we are garbage at this. I I won't show up anywhere unannounced and I am offended if you show up unannounced at my house like and you Girl, better you're, you're offended if I call you <laughs> I mean you better text me don't show up don't expect me to respond like I just we're so introvert I mean a, a lot of this you know again whole other podcast topic of why we're all so introverted now but it is very different and when you yeah. kind of grow up like we had a massive family we had a lot of similar kind of things where we would go places and there would just be like you know 30 people mm. there and we're all doing this stuff together but at this point in my life right one I am independent I am I'm a grown-up mm -hmm. I got a job and a house and I, I don't need you no right like I don't need any but like oh man I needed everything I mean I yeah. needed I needed love and I needed help and I needed also spoiler the the good vibes and the like warmth and the support I feel from this event does not change how I approach the next surgeries. Yeah. I'm still an independent asshole for the, all of this. Okay. I think we're going to leave it at there. We're going to end this episode at uh, independent asshole. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I feel like you'd appreciate that. Um, and maybe I'll call that my memoir. If I ever write one independent asshole. A memoir by Jackie Zimmerman. Uh, but yeah, we're going to leave it there and stick with us for the next uh, episode. What are we going to cover in the next one? Um, the next one, we are going to talk about the actual first surgery. Okay. All right. Uh, well, uh, buckle up for that and we will see you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to What Won't She Say? You can find us at whatwontshesay.com, on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else that you like to find your podcast. 